If you have your Bibles today, I'd like you to open to the book of Matthew, chapter 11. Matthew, chapter 11, we'll be reading as our text today three very familiar verses to you. I'm reading from the New International Version. These words from our Lord Jesus Christ that say this to us today. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Well, it's Labor Day weekend. Can you tell looking around the room? Yeah, it's a great weekend for travel. A lot of people travel. I heard 16 million people are flying this weekend. Clara, did you hear that? Clara Faith? Yes. 16 million folks, an amazing number of automobiles on the road. We associate Labor Day weekend with barbecues. Some of you out there have your last barbecue planned for the year. We, we associate Labor Day weekend with trips to the lake and water skiing. We associate it with baseball games. And some of you looking around last night were watching college football games probably last night. That started. We associate it with kind of the end of summer. Schools, all schools, finally being back in session. We associate it in the old days, like Mike was talking about earlier, with putting away all our white or light-colored clothes because we can't wear them after Labor Day, supposedly. We associate with all these kind of things Labor Day weekend. I heard a story recently about a fella who Labor Day was very significant to. His name was Eli Smith. Did you hear the story about Eli Smith? He was a dirt poor country farmer out in the country. And you know what? He was playing the lottery. And guess what? He won. He had that winning ticket. He won a million dollars. So this dirt poor country farmer to celebrate decided he would treat his wife and their four kids to a great trip to see the Labor Day Parade in New York City. Never been to New York before, hardly knew anything about it or where it was, but he booked their rooms in the Sheraton International Hotel at the corner of Park Circle and Central Park North. They'd never been anywhere like New York before. In fact, they'd never traveled further afar than their local town, just a mile or two away. So when they got to New York City, they were completely amazed and overwhelmed and bowled over by the glitz, the glamour, the excitement of the Big Apple, New York. Well, Eli and his son Clem were particularly mesmerized as they went off to explore part of the hotel while the wife went off with the other son to explore another part of the hotel. Eli and Clem were particularly mesmerized by a big, shiny box. Big, shiny box that had silver walls and big silver doors on it in the hotel reception area. They had never before come across doors that were so shiny that could move apart and then go back together, as they had never seen an elevator before. So they were totally amazed when a little old lady, about 90-something years old, 
got in this shiny box and the doors closed behind her. And they were even more amazed as those lights on the wall trickled and blinked. And then after about a minute, that door, those silver doors opened again. And as the store doors opened, out stepped a beautiful young woman. <laughs> Eli Smith turned to his son Clem and said, Son, go find your mama. <laughs> Labor Day, Labor Day pays tributes to the contributions and achievements of American workers. Labor Day 2018, tomorrow on September the 3rd, the first Monday in September is when it's traditionally observed. It was created back in the late 19th century by the labor movement in our country and became a federal holiday in 1894. It's an annual celebration of workers and their achievements and it originated during one of the American history's most dismal chapters of labor. Because in the late 1800s, at the height of the Industrial Revolution, the average American was working 12-hour days and seven-day weeks in order to eke out a basic living. Despite restrictions in some states, many times children as young as five or six years old worked in mills, factories, and mines across the country, earning only a fraction of what the adults were earning. People of all ages, particularly the very poor and recent immigrants to the country, often faced extremely unsafe working conditions, insufficient access to fresh air, sanitary facilities, and breaks. As manufacturing increasingly became more the norm instead of agriculture in our country, the labor unions, which first appeared in the late 18th century, began to grow more prominent and more vocal as they spoke out for the rights of the worker. They began organizing strikes and rallies to protest poor working conditions. We remember in the city of Chicago the famous Haymarket riot in 1886, a horrible thing when many policemen, many protesters and workers were killed. It finally, as the idea of this working man's holiday began to be birthed out of this as a result of trying to assuage and, 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 and comfort the country for the horrible thing that happened in Chicago, this idea of observing a day of labor, uh, celebrating labor began to catch on in various industrial centers around the country. Many states began to pass legislation recognizing this day, Labor Day. Finally, Congress would ratify that in 1894. And we remember that in the wake of this, now for many, many years, 100 years or more, we have observed Labor Day as a time of rest from work. Are you and have you ever been weary from work? As I look around the room, I know you're saying, yeah, I can remember some days when it was really, really hard to work, hard work. My mom used to talk to me about work on the dairy farm and how cold it was 
and hard it was early in the morning milking those cows before she went to school. Yes, have you ever been worry, weary from work? You certainly have. Have you ever been weary from the burdens of life that we all encounter? Certainly you have. If you've lived long enough, you know that. Have you ever been so tired that you have to fight to stay awake? So tired that you literally fall asleep standing up? Some of you have. But on the other hand, have you ever been so burdened, burdened that you can't fall asleep no matter how tired you are? I know I have. And you know what? And to me and to you today, I hear those simple, famous words of Jesus that we read earlier. Come unto me, all who are weary, heavy laden, burdened, and I will give you rest. Rest. The simplicity of this, this promise that Jesus gives to us is refreshing, isn't it? Jesus didn't offer us a fourfold path to peace, enlightenment like the Buddha did. He didn't give us five pillars of peace through submission as Islam does. Nor does he give us ten ways to relieve our, our, our weariness, which is a pragmatic self-help book that's out there. Unique to anyone in human history, Jesus simply said, as a solution to our weariness and burdens, Come unto me. Come unto me. Our scripture passage today is in context, falls right after Jesus has been through a variety of towns, doing miracles, great mighty works, and yet the towns were not people that were repenting. The scripture passage stands right before the 12th chapter as Jesus encounters the Pharisees and begins to talk to them about their legalistic viewpoint of life. Think about it. When in Matthew chapter 5, following this passage, we hear about Pharisees who are making religion complicated and difficult. Their kind of religion was a heavy weight around people's necks. Their religion consisted of don't do this, don't do that, no, 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 don't, 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 no. Theirs was a religion of hundreds of religious rules and regulations and rituals that people were not to do. An example of this is in Matthew chapter 12 as Jesus and his disciples are walking through a field on a Sabbath and his disciples are picking grain in order to eat it. But the Pharisees are upset that the disciples are picking grain because it was the Sabbath, the holy day. Don't pick grain on the Sabbath and eat even if you're hungry. Ridiculous. Absurd. In the next story, the Pharisees objected to he Jesus healing a man who had a withered hand because it was the Sabbath day. The Lord who's healing this man, this miraculous thing that's done, and yet they still object to it. Ludicrous, silly, nitpicky, legalistic. The Pharisees had turned their, their religion into a series of rules and regulations which were like burdens on people's shoulders, burdens to the people that Jesus was addressing. No, no, no was the predominant word. What a burden. What a load. You think about it. 
that oxen, that idea of that yoke around that oxen's neck, a big heavy yoke on it, and that big old strong ox with a heavy yoke on its back, pulling a heavy plow under the Pharisees, that's what the Israelites were experiencing, a heavy burden of rules and regulations of the law. And Jesus came to say, listen, it's not, it's not about the letter of the law, it's about the spirit of law and what's written on your heart, your heart. And Jesus comes and offers an invitation to those folks and to us today in saying, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, heavy laden, come to me. He says, all, every one of us. He doesn't say just good people. He says, all people, come to me with your burdens of life. He doesn't say that, that it's got to be a person from a certain uh, region or a certain nationality. No, everyone is invited to come to this burden reliever, Jesus Christ. Wonder what wears me down today. Wonder what wears you down today. The burdens that we carry that only we know. In the stillness of the night, the things that keep us awake, that starve us from peace, the Lord Jesus stands today beckoning to you, beckoning to me, come unto me. I will give you rest. A personal invitation for all of us to cast our cares upon the Lord, as Peter would tell us later in his letter. The Pharisees thought that they, they had it good, that they didn't need this Savior. They didn't need anyone to come and help, help with their burdens, but the common folk knew better, knew better. When we think about the different things that we see in this scripture today. The only way that we can make sense of this situation and Jesus' astonishing, audacious claim to come to him for relief of burdens is to know that he has the authority to say this because Jesus is the word become flesh. He is the one who was with God in creation. He is the one who came to be the, 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 the atonement for our sins. The simple promise that Jesus says has a power behind it, sufficient to lift whatever weighs us down. When we think about it, we remember that as Jesus had gone through Matthew chapter 11 and spoken to many cities that these folks saw firsthand his miraculous works. They saw him demonstrating who he was, and yet they still refused to believe him. And Jesus said, come to me, come to me. It's that simple. Well, what does that mean, come to me? It means believe in me. Believe in who I claim to be and what I'm able to do for you. And this is where I am tested. Will I believe in him? During the hard times of life, it's easy during the good times of life, but will I believe in him? Will I trust in him during the hard times of life? Will I listen to those simple words, come unto me and trust that he promises that he will be with us? We're not necessarily resting on the how and the when because we know that a lot of things are in the Lord's timing, but we're resting on something called trust and hope. He wants to rest on the trust that he will 
as he has been faithful to all in generations before us, he will be faithful to us. And the hope that we have in Christ Jesus, as we remember that in this life we will have trouble, but this life is not all there is. And Jesus says, I have overcome the world, this world. And there's hope for us, not only here, but in the life to come. The thing we're looking for is hope. The thing that our burdened souls and our burdened hearts need to hear are those words of the psalmist that say, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. God, on God and in God, rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. He is only the, he is the only one who is our salvation, our mighty rock, our refuge. He is the one who gives us hope. Only in him we can find true rest for our souls. But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't say, I'm just going to give you rest, and I'm going to do that through my spirit, and I'm going to do that in mysterious ways, and I'm going to do that through the body of Christ, and I'm going to do that in a lot of ways. He doesn't stop there. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Take my love. What must we do in order to get this rest? And Jesus answers this question in a simple, simple way. And it's basically he's saying, listen, Believe in who has been sent. Abide in me. We have a yoke exchange going on. In the cross, Jesus takes our inconceivable, unbearable yoke around our neck, like that old ox would wear. The heavy yoke of sin and, and, and condemnation. And he offers in exchange the easy, the light burden of trusting him. And that yoke being relieved. He does the work. He accomplishes the work that reconciles us to God and gives us rest. If only we will trust in him, if only we will accept it, if only we will follow in the things that he has led us to. As Peter says, he has called us to follow in his steps as we trust in him, abide in him, and follow in his steps. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, because I'm gentle and humble in heart, he says. You'll find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. The word yoke in, in that day and time would symbolize to them uh, something where they were going to school, uh, the yoke of learning. It would also symbolize to them the, uh, the yoke of religion that they had with the hundreds and hundreds of rules and so forth. But Jesus was simple. Jesus was positive. His yoke says to love God, to love your neighbor, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, to love your neighbor as yourself, to be merciful, loving, and kind, to have a faith, a faith that is in him who conquered our most dreaded adversary, and that is the grave, to worship God, to love neighbors, to simple, simple positive things that God asks us to do, to show acts of kindness and mercy and all these kind of things. That's the kind of yoke that the Lord wants us to put on. He wants us to wear that in a way that others see it and others marvel and others are moved and wonder 
What is it that you have that I don't have? When we think about Jesus, many biblical scholars talk about Jesus and remember and speculate on the time that he was growing up as a carpenter's son and the things that he may have experienced. And, and, and they often assume that he perhaps was a master carpenter by the time he was an adult. One of the primary jobs that Jesus would have done as a carpenter for others was to craft yoke for their oxen to wear. Jesus would have designed and crafted personally tailored yokes that would be a perfect fit for each animal so as not to chafe or hurt or bind that animal, thus allowing that animal to be most affected as that ox pulled that load around. The yoke wore easily like a fine-fitting pair of shoes or a fine-fitting coat because Jesus' yoke was well-fitting. It was easy and light for that ox. What Jesus calls us to put on a yoke that is easy and light to wear as he calls us to live in a way that follows in his steps, as he calls us to the best kind of life that we could possibly live, Jesus calls us to help us during those times of life. We carry a lot of crazy loads throughout our life. All of us do. Sometimes people have more than others at different seasons of their life. We have emotional and physical loads that we carry, and it's true for all of us. But God has given us in his spirit and in his word spiritual tools to help us carry those loads of life. He's given us tools such as tools that say, I am with you always to the end of the age. He gives us tools that say, remember, suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character and character produces hope, and hope will not disappoint. He gives us tools that say, carry one another's burden, and so fulfill the law of Christ. And he gives us tools that say, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. As I close today, I remember that parable that is a contemporary one that you've probably seen in an art store. Some of you may have the picture at your house. Remember the picture of the footprints in the sand? Two pair of footprints are in the sand walking side by side and suddenly there's one pair of footprints. And many times on that picture there's an inscription that says, God said, that's when I picked you up and carried you when the burdens of life were too much or too much. Many, many years ago, many, many years ago, a composer by the name of Henry Gilmore wrote an old song, an old song that's not in our new hymn book, but it's in some of our older ones, and it simply was a song that said, The Haven of Rest. And that song goes like this. My soul in sad exile was out on life's sea, so burdened with sin and distress, till I heard a sweet voice saying, make me your choice. And I entered the haven of rest, 
I've anchored my soul in the haven of rest. I'll sail the wide seas no more. The tempest may sweep o'er the wild stormy deep, but in Jesus I'm safe evermore. Today, the Lord Jesus Christ calls you to that haven of rest. As we sing a song today, it says simply this, trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior today, we're going to sing a song that invites you to come and to know him and be part of that rest. If you don't have a church home and want to join with us at Southwest Christian Church, we invite you to come as we stand and as we sing. Thank you. 